Yeah. Greed is when you should be afraid and fear is when you should be greedy. I know that seems like the two negatives, but basically you should be rationally buying when everybody else is terrified and rationally selling when everybody else is ultra greedy. Or just riding through with a good long-term plan. Right. Once more unto the breach, dear friends, else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I, I have so much trouble expecting boys and girls to be listening to this, but I'll, I'll keep going I, anyway. I always get stuck on the idea of filling up a gap in a wall with English dead. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to stretch reality. We're about to have an interesting show. You see how I stretched reality there? Uh, it should be exciting. It should be um, bombastic and um, feather light at the same time. Um, it's exciting to us. It is. We have the opportunity at any given moment to say something strange and ruin our careers for the rest of our lives. Yep. Live broadcasting. And um, you never can tell when the SEC is listening or right. somebody from the SEC is listening. This is the personal wealth coach. We've got two economists here who are also bald. We're going to talk for the next couple of hours about what's going on in the world and possibly what's going on and personally in, in some finances. Uh, so that's what the personal wealth coach is. And as Jeff, the older baldy of the two. I just wanted to start off by saying, if you want to join us in the show before we do disclosures and disclaimers, you can give us an email or send us an email to either Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. And we'll respond to it on the air. As in the personal wealth coach or Tango Papa, Whiskey Charlie. I just like saying that. Um, it's because you, you like doing things like that. Yeah. So this is the personal wealth coach. And as Jeff, the older baldy, so properly alluded to, the SEC is our regulator. The, uh, uh, the personal wealth coach is also the name of an SEC registered uh, investment advisory firm. Now, that doesn't mean in any way, shape, form, uh, as fashion. if you could have a shape or a form to a meaning, uh, that the SEC has any way approved us. As far as I know, approval is not in the lexicon of things that the SEC is allowed to do. So if anyone ever says that they are approved by the SEC, they are probably lying. They may be registered. They may even have a seal of the SEC saying that we don't disapprove. They don't approve. There. I think I very thoroughly gave that disclosure. Would you like to do the next one? We should have a sea lion of the SEC since they have a seal. Yeah, the sea lions, they have the pop-up ears on their head where a seal is just like smooth-headed. Yeah. But if you, they don't like it when you use sealing wax on them. That's true. Hey, we don't pay for this radio program, nor does KTEM pay us. Uh, we do advertise on KTEM, but they don't pay us for the program, and we don't pay them, and we haven't paid them for the past, what, how many years have we been doing this? We've been doing it since 97, so we're talking 24 years. So in 24 years, we've never paid them to do the radio program, but although we have advertised. They have never but, paid us a penny to do the program either. I don't know about that. That's weird. Anyway. They need to give us a penny immediately. 
And the information we present on this radio program is not intended to be investment advice, even though we are the principals of a registered investment advisory firm. Because it's intended to be educational because in investment advice is given to individuals based on their specific circumstances and conditions, goals and objectives, risk tolerance, and a whole host of other things. And it's also very, very confidential and quiet stuff. And by the way, we are not only in an investment advisory firm, we're a fiduciary independent investment advisory firm. We don't work for anyone but our clients. That's right. Now, you have taken those last two disclosures, leaving me with the only one left. And I don't think you're going to be able to sit through it without correcting me. I really don't think you'll be able to sit through your favorite disclosure the information that we give in our educational program, it comes from sources that we deem to be reliable, but we give no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or reliability of said information. Or completeness. I, I, I knew it. I knew it. You couldn't do it. You. <laughs> I knew it. Well, this is your favorite one, but you set yourself up for that correction know, there because you took the other disclosures. If, if you, there's, there's no great deal of correction required in any of the other disclosures, but you need that one. That one's important. We are, we are intensely geeky, which is why we actually enjoy doing disclosures and disclaimers. Weird, I know. But they, they probably already know that unless their radio is broken onto one channel only. Or somebody just say, said, hey, listen to this podcast, and they duct tape the earbuds in. You know, basically we said that nothing we say is necessarily correct or true or accurate or complete. But we deem it so. Yeah. So. Well, we try. We try very hard to make to get, to present truth and facts and such as that your wife and, and and my mother have said that we're very trying for my whole life so both of them we're very trying we're try so hard we're trying yes bo both both your your wife and my mother who's the same person strangely we've got some questions that have loaded up we've got three of them out there waiting i didn't get any of them so you're gonna have to say them. oh this like last anymore. one's just a nice compliment oh a compliment. That's yeah. scary. It not what only is, is the email free, it's complimentary. <laughs> uh, Philip, thank you. He, he's like a, a part of our fan group, I guess. He's, he really enjoys this program. Thank you for listening, Philip. Um, he says, I can't believe another week is behind us. One positive thing about that is that it's time for your ro radio program again. Keep up the great work, Jake and Jeff. Uh, there is probably something wrong with your brain, Philip. Because if you can say that about economists, I, I, I hope that you're okay. I just sincerely, from the depth of my being, hope that you are okay. Uh, there, there's no accounting for taste. But we do appreciate. We do appreciate it. Are you wearing a Don Quixote t-shirt? I am. The Lord of La Mancha. That says something about who we are. Yes. I, we just, you know, I was for several weeks out of town during the radio program. Uh, three weeks in a row. Uh, one of those weeks you did solo, which was amazing. Very magnanimous of you. Um, and it, during that time period, I drove through absolute forests of windmills and thought of Don Quixote quite a lot about going off-road and tilting at those massive windmills. They're a bit bigger than the ones he did. but uh, I don't so, think it's very profitable to attack windmills. No. No, there probably people would get upset for me. Although, although some people don't like them. It's true. 
birds have been known to be smacked by them. And other people have said that they are very tall and therefore interfere with things like looking. Yep. Well, we had a market week, which we have almost every week. Almost uh, so every far. week. So far in the 40 years or so I've been doing this. Um, we haven't had it every week. There, ha- there were two weeks that we skipped. Very aware of yeah. these two weeks. Right after September 11th of 2001, we had t- you know, two weeks of market that we didn't have a market week. And so I was unable to report on the market. I'm still suffering from trauma from that. You had to remind me. Yes. You were, you, you were losing the memory of the moment when we didn't have a weekly um, report on the market. Well, we use the S&P 500 as our primary market index, even though it has its faults. Uh, we at least are consistent. And it's probably it's better than the Dow because the Dow has more has faults. 30 stocks. It's yes. more faults. So we stick with the S&P 500, and that's one that's widely followed. And some people invest in funds that uh, highly closely parallel the S&P 500, so they're interested in that. It sagged on Monday instead of hitting a record on Monday. I had it backwards. Yes, we had and the record so, on Friday, not on Monday, this week. It sagged on Monday, which was kind of bad because in, on legitimate fears. And the fear is that the COVID Delta variant would cripple the re- economic recovery, which is a real threat, folks. That is a real threat. Hospitals are full across the country, and this thing is not expected to peak until October. And once the body once the trucks start lining the refrigerating trucks start lining up to hold the bodies again i think people are going to be in some state of shock and there may be some effect there's already some effect in the economy but it closed at 4436.52 it did climb during the week although it zigzagged around on the way up and hit a record on friday and it's a battle between the bulls and the bears out there the bulls are looking at the earnings from last quarter and more importantly, they're looking at what the CEOs of those companies with record earnings are saying. By and large, what they're saying is that we are looking forward to another quarter of record earnings. They see a lot of orders. There's a lot of backlog of orders. Uh, inventories are low uh, in for retail. Everything, and there's a lot of cash in the consumer's pocket, and the CEOs are saying they're going to do very well in the next quarter. Now, they said that they're talking about information that was before the outbreak of the Delta variant. So we're, it's, there's this battle going on between the people who say the Delta variant is going to collapse the economy again. It's like the, because we're likely to get as bad a spike, according to the epidemiologists, with the Delta variant over the next couple of months as we got in the early part of this year when things went really bad. Now, we're so already a month into this quarter, the third quarter of the year. So it's not like the entire quarter is going to be devastated by it. In fact, we're not seeing much even anecdotally that says that there's a huge amount of shutdowns occurring. But we kind of expect it to start. Kind of, I don't want to leave from what happened in the market, but this is a pretty interesting area. When, when the hospitals get full, and they, and they are, and they are, governmental leaders tend to say, hey, people are going to start dying that don't have COVID because the hospitals are full. We got to stop the rise of COVID. They're already, uh, we've got, I've had two reports from medical professionals that they're, quote, boarding people in the emergency room. Right. They're not, a lot, they're, they're not, not admitting them into the hospital because there are COVID patients in the hospital. Filling up the beds. 
frankly, the people in the hospital, the professionals, the nurses and the doctors and the staff are getting worn out. They're working overtime and they're seeing a lot of people really, really sick and a lot of people dying. And it's important to note. This time around, it's the average person is under the age of 55. And the average person is also unvaccinated. Very, very few people are being admitted to the hospital with COVID that have been vaccinated. Very, very few. Less than 1% of the people. But there's a lot of people who are getting very sick very quickly. One doctor, was, the story was related to me, who works in a hospital locally, said this is very different from the first wave and that the people from the time they're exposed to the time that they get violently ill is only a few days. And once they get ill, they get much worse than they saw in the first wave. The first wave, after a couple of days without symptoms, you would start getting little symptoms like losing your sense of smell and getting a little congested and starting to get a sore throat. It usually didn't start off with like fireworks. And that's not what they're saying this time around, that the the symptoms tend to hit harder and faster and they tend to hit younger people. So we're not saying this, just as a side note, to be part of the fear squad. We're saying this to say this is an indicator for what the economy could be doing. We're not out of the woods yet. This variant is going to cause, at the very minimum, the growth rate that we've been seeing to slow down. And at the maximum, it could freeze the growth rate or cause a little bit of shrinkage. So just be aware that it's out there. It really doesn't matter from the perspective of the numbers if you're vaccinated or what you believe or don't believe. What we can say with a great deal of assurance is that when numbers get like this, it tends to start a process that slows down growth and maybe starts the shrinkage. We hope that's not what's going on, but uh, and the nation as a whole got up to 70% vaccination this week, but there are huge groups of the nation that are way below that, which means that we're not going to have herd immunity until that average is in every community, that 70% average. Well, the, I think it was, no, it was John, John Hopkins that said that the herd immunity is now 90% instead of 70 because of the high, the high transmittability of the Delta variant. Right. And under the old but, version, 70% would have been plenty. And, and I've heard a lot of people saying, they're changing the statistics. Well, the disease is changing. Uh, and yeah. our understanding of what the disease is, is changing. So just expect that to happen when something new comes out. Well, the S&P 500 is up 18% so far this year, which is certainly not only excellent, but probably not sustainable. And an 18% rise in this short period of time, is, you just don't expect it to continue to do this. Uh, it's full, the, the market is fully priced for the earnings and the earnings forecasts, and anything that goes wrong will almost certainly cause a correction. Right. The other s- this point, earnings are expected to be way big, and that's just kind of the normal expectation across the board during this recovery. So if we have a jolt in the other direction because the Delta variant slows things down, we could have another jolt of panic. The CRSP mid-cap value index was up more than the S&P 500 this week. It closed to a record. It was up 1.10% for the week and is up 20% this year. We follow that, too. That's kind of the other corner of the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is largely driven by large cap growth stocks. The S&P 500, uh, the, the CRSP mid cap value index is driven by, well, it is 
mid-cap value, which is the other corner of the S&P 500, where the value stocks are quite different from growth stocks, and the smallest ones in there are mid-cap that are in the S&P 500. So we follow that index to see what the rest of the market is doing. Traditionally, and in this case we see it, whenever we see what looks like a regular recovery going on, the mid-cap value index outperforms the S&P 500. Whenever we see things shifting back into COVID, the S&P 500 tends to take off because it's driven by a lot of tech companies that a lot of their earnings are being generated by the fact that people are staying home and working from home and entertaining from home and doing so on, such as that. So we have actually, let me break into the market report just a moment. We have two emails that are sitting on that subject. Uh, One talking about the rut, which is half of when uh, Scooby-Doo sees something that's problem. He says, rut roll. Well, rut is also the Russell 2000. And it's basically been trading for six months in a very narrow range when you're looking at the average. But it's had a lot of volatility up and down and around those that range. And um, the email we have here, it says, trading in a range, it looks great if you're an options trader. Trader, I gave that up. Everything else, S&P 500, et cetera, steady growth. What's up? Uh, and we've got another one where somebody's talking about their portfolio and saying it's been pretty flat since May. We've had this tremendous growth up till then, but what happened in May, what happened in June, and it just happens to be when the measurements were occurring because there were periods where it was up and down. It's trading within a very flat area on the mid-cap value side. And you were just talking about that. It's very, very directly related to expectations on COVID. Uh, in a normal recession-type recovery, a small and mid-cap value tend to lead the charge in the recovery. They tend to pull us out because what is a value company? Value companies are companies that actually have assets that are worth what their company is worth rather than people speculating that their company is going to be worth a lot more later on. And in a recession... Those are the companies that pull us out of it. Now, every time COVID starts rearing its ugly head again, man, did I just anthropomorphize and mix metaphors at the same time? You did a good job of it, though. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Every time it rears its ugly head, the value companies get slumped because they say, how long is it going to be before people are out and regularly shopping in the normal way that they used to do before things changed? ever again. And the tech companies go, hey, look, we have a new tool for working from home. And so while that's a very oversimplified statement, you get a good idea of what's going on here. As soon as it looks like we're over the hump again with COVID, we expect the value companies to take off and the growth companies to slump. And that's just a normal part of the market growth cycle. We just are aware of that and watching it. Now, by the end of the bull market, the tech companies are going to leave everybody behind and then crash horribly. And the end of the bull market might be six years away or it might be next year. And you can't say that with certainty. That's a promissory statement. That's true. Uh, I said it may be. It may be. And every time we see that things are switching around to a regular recovery, the S&P 500 takes a bit of a dip and the value stocks tend to rise at that point. We're in a big battle between bears and bulls all over the place. We're in a lot of confusion right now. The the important thing is the market as a whole, whichever part you're in, if you look back one year or two years or three years or even five years, you've probably got some pretty good gains in there. 
And I would recommend strongly that you not worry about the fact that somebody else got more gain than you did because somebody else may not have gotten more gain. They may the have higher, told you about the win before they had the loss. The higher the return that you see in an in a index right now, generally speaking, particularly in the growth side, the bigger it's likely to fall on the other end. The other markets that we follow, the bond market, and the benchmark for the bond market is the 10-year U.S. Treasury note. It climbed a bunch this week, right at the tail end of the week, just as the market was climbing, which is, which is perfectly normal because when the interest rates climb, when the yield climbs, that means the value of bonds being held in the market drops. I closed that at 1.307%. That's a 6.4% rise in the yield, which equates to about the same loss in the bond if you were holding the bonds, depending on how far it was to maturity. Uh, Something very interesting, we broke a record in the in the Treasury market this week, which I think is a record that may go down in history at some point. In the middle of the week, or rather early in the week, the, the t, tre, 10-year Treasury note yield sagged to 1.1, roughly 1.1%. And that was a record low for real after, inspect, after expected inflation rate of, neg, of return, which was a negative 1.19%. So what do we know? What do we know about expected inflation? There's something called TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, and we can look at those and see what the bond market in general is saying inflation will be over the next 10 years when you look at the 10-year TIPS note. And if you look at the yield on the regular 10-year note and you compare it to the expected inflation, people are buying, and presuming people are fairly sophisticated who are buying these 10-year Treasury notes, and most of them are, they're buying them with an expected rate of return, real rate of return after inflation of a negative 1.19%. And we got a question last week that I think is a very good question. Why are people buying lots of treasury notes at this point, knowing that they're going to lose money over the next 10 years? Well, not knowing, but strongly expecting to lose money at 1.19%. And the answer is very simple. There's a lot of scared nations, institutions, and just regular people who are willing to pay Uncle Sam 1.19% a year for the next 10 years to hold their money because they're convinced they'll get their dollars back in whatever value they are at that time, which is questionable in a lot of other places. The other indicator we follow, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, they dropped the price dropped about 8% for the week to 67.98, which is a strong indicator of where the oil market thinks the economy is going. And it was validated by no significant change in, in, uh, in production in the United States, but the inventory started building up. People are already reducing their use of fuel in the United States as vacations get canceled and travel gets canceled because of the Delta variant. And that's, that, is going to, that is one of the things that worried the market early in the week and is something to be aware of. The market, the stock market is priced right now on a perfect return that what the CEOs say is going to happen in the next quarter is going to happen in the next quarter. If something comes up to blow that out of the water, expect correction. And a correction is when the market has been priced for one set of expectations and then discovers it has a separate set of expectations that it needs to live with. So a 10% drop in the market would not be unexpected at this point. I agree with that. Um, I, I think it's reasonable to kind of expect at any given point, no matter when we're talking, a 10% <laughs> drop in the market is reasonable. Uh, people are shocked when I say that, by the way. 
they're like, what? How, how could you be expecting a 10% drop in the market? Because it's the market isn't like a machine. It isn't got a timer on it that says, all right, here's our next drop. It's a bunch of people making decisions that are regulated a lot less by rationality and a lot more by whatever the emotion of the moment is. So we can see an 18% rise in the S&P 500 in a very short period of time. And if you see that kind of a rise, it's very easy to expect that kind of a drop in even less a time. We tend to, uh, this, is, this is something that, um, there's a network that's centered in the amygdala of the brain. And that network stretches throughout your brain, but it is one of the fastest networks in your thought process that's, that's in your brain. And it is how you accept negative input. It is given far more priority and far more weight than a positive input. So if you've got an 18% rise in the market and it took place, how long did that 18% rise take place over? Was it year to date? Year to date, right. Okay, so seven full months. It's not unreasonable because this is there's different ways of judging this to see that reverse of that take place in a much shorter period of time. For the same reason that it went up, the good expectations caused it to go up and bad expectations caused it to go down. Now, it sounds like I'm warning everyone to escape and run away and get out of the market. I am absolutely not doing that. I'm saying that if you've got cash sitting around and you see the market drop like that, then you should use it to buy because people don't make rational decisions when it comes to buying and selling in the market. And there's a great book called Predictably Irrational. If we say it's totally, totally predictably irrational that we have a 10% drop at any moment, and you've got some cash sitting to the side that you just say, all right, I'll drop it in when that happens, it might drop 20%. And you might say, well, the McClure's steered me wrong. The bottom line of what we're getting at here is if you're well diversified, well diversified across the marketplace and you're investing in the American economy, it is very possible to lose money, particularly if you sell when everybody else is selling. But if you have a commitment, and that's actually what the word invest means, commitment, it's, it's got other meanings as well, but if you say I'm invested in this relationship, it kind of takes the place of commitment. In fact, it means a commitment with price. If you're invested in the American economy uh, and you believe that the American economy is eventually going to recover from COVID, which to me seems like a ludicrously obvious statement, then when everybody else shrieks and runs for the woods, you do as John Templeton said, you be a conscientious investor, and when the rest of the world wishes to sell, you oblige them and you buy. And when the rest of the world wishes to buy, you oblige them and you sell. That is how you make money in the market, is by recognizing that everybody else and yourself is irrational, but at least you can gauge your own irrationality. <laughs> I'd like to inject some experience in here. Okay. I was very much in this business in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And I watched as greed seized people and they demanded to get the same return as the S&P 500. And it didn't work out real well. You look, look, at your, look at the return that you need to get to where you're trying to go. 
in your portfolio, and it's important to know what that return is. Then take a look at the return you've gotten over the last five years. And we use we generally use five years, five-year moving average, although we look at 10 years as well. And we say, and you say to yourself, is that getting me there? If it's not, then you're probably in the wrong place. If it's way too high, way too high, then you need to look at your portfolio very carefully and make sure you're prepared for some unpleasant surprises. The higher the return that you get in a portfolio over a period of time, the more volatile that portfolio is likely to be. Historically, that's 100% accurate. We can't predict the future. But generally speaking, the higher your short-term return, the greater the volatility we'll see, which means when the market does turn down, and it will, I'm very confident it will turn down again at some point. Suddenly, unexpectedly, surprised everybody, whoa-hoo, the market just went into either a uh, severe correction or a bear market. When that finally happens, you have to say, what is my, what are my plans for that? It's kind of like living on the coast of Texas or living on the, anywhere along the Gulf Coast. If you think, well, maybe a, maybe a hurricane will never happen to me, you are living in a dream world. It's like living in California and not expecting an earthquake. You need to have plans, have your kit ready and say, here's what I'm going to do when the market turns down. I think we tend to ignore that and try to hide from it and run from it. But the important thing is to look at your overall portfolio. And if you're getting a less return, if you're getting less return than the S&P 500, it means you're probably not in the S&P 500. But the S&P 500, as we said earlier, is driven by large cap growth stocks at this point, just as it was in the late 1990s. Historically, now this, there's no guarantee this will happen again. The future is always uncertain. But historically... I, I have trouble making predictions, especially about the future. Yeah, you and, you and Yogi Berra. Um, Historically, when the S&P 500 has behaved the way it's behaved in the last year, rising so dramatically, and that rise being driven by large-cap growth stocks who have price-to-earnings ratios that are astronomical, to say the least, eventually those expectations get dashed. And the trick is to ride along, participating to some degree. You don't want to be completely left out of it. And doing so to a moderate amount so that you get gains, but don't get greedy. Greed and fear drive the market. And when there's too much greed, that's when we're looking at the time that you probably ought to be afraid. Yeah. Greed is when you should be afraid and fear is when you should be greedy. I know that seems like the two negatives, but basically you should be rationally buying when everybody else is terrified and rationally selling when everybody else is ultra greedy. Or just riding through with a good long-term plan. Right. And that's the thing is that the long-term plan, you decide why you're doing what you're doing before you do it. If you're looking at the market movement across a a quarter, across a a five-month or eight-month or even year-long window, you're looking too close. And I realize that that is insane. How can you tell somebody who's got investments in the market to ignore the market for a year at a time? It isn't necessarily to ignore it. It's temper your expectations to know that it's very normal to have negative returns in the market during short periods of time, including years and years, short periods being relative to the length of time you're in the market. Negative returns are part of the marketplace. And people are starting to forget that, even though it's only been just over a year since we had a massive drop in the market. We had a 50% drop in the market in a very short period of time and then a recovery in the marketplace in a very short period of time. But it's like 
because it was so fast and it was right in the middle of all this other fear about COVID, people have forgotten it. It's it's sort of shocking to me, even though I shouldn't be shocked about this. I study memory. But this, to me, seems like a big event, a traumatic event, and that's usually what we remember. But there have been enough overlaying of other traumas and then good news on it that we've forgotten about a 50% drop in the market a year ago. How's that for how our brains are already set to only remember things that we consider important and don't consider that important? Unless you got out of the market at that point, then you probably remember it quite well. Uh, we're about out of time for this hour. If you'd like to contact us off the air during the weekend, there's voicemail, real life people during the week. Locally, the phone number is... 254-947-1111. Or toll-free 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got podcasts and radio recordings and all kinds of good stuff there. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can contact us through the contact form, or you can email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you for listening. You do that so well. Thank you.